0: to be joined on Football CFB by a man who's played in the Netherlands. He's also coached in the Netherlands. He's coached in Egypt, Qatar, England, Romania. And you can tell from my accent, of course, that I'm from Scotland. And he was also the performance director of the Scottish Football Association. Mark Votta, thank you so much for joining me.
1: It's my pleasure, Callum. Uh, Hope we have a good conversation together.
0: The first thing I want to ask you about is your career in Dutch football as a player. What are your memories from your time playing football and what position did you play?
1: I had a moderate professional career. I, uh, I played for the Dutch national team under 18s and I was uh, an academy player for FC 20. And uh, I moved to The uh, Hague for, for, to, to be a student uh, for physical education. And I combined that with playing for uh, several clubs. Uh, I managed to, spend, to, to to sign for Feyenoord Rotterdam in uh, 1981 but I only played four, four games uh, of which uh, just a sub um, in the classic, uh, classical from Holland, uh, Feyenoord Ajax. And then I started playing in the first division for FC Den Haag and SFV Schiedam. But when I was 26, I, uh, I got a, a groin injury for more than a year and I decided to, to stop my career and uh, focus on coaching. Um, I, was, um, uh, I was a defensive midfield player, right wing back. Uh, I was not a, a brilliant player, but uh, I, I, I put all my efforts in the game and uh, it was a shock to, uh, to, to be forced to stop my football career, but I enjoyed being a coach from day one as well. So uh, that was my career.
0: And in terms of your career, we were speaking off air about some of our favourite players of our lifetime. I believe you played against Johan Cruyff as, as he was coming towards the end of his career.
1: Yeah, well, let me start first. At Feyenoord, we signed also Willem van Haneghem. He was a star player in the 1974 World Cup uh, tournament. He was an amazing player, a uh, great character as well. So uh, every training session I was I was thrilled to be on the same pitch as Willem van Hanegem, and uh, he's of course of the Johan Cruyff generation. In that season I played against Johan Cruyff uh, just a couple of times, also when I was playing for The Hague for the, in, in the Cup. We played Ajax Amsterdam and uh, just just sometimes it's amazing to be on one pitch with, uh, with your idols. You have to uh, focus uh, twice as hard because you're almost uh, like to, to watch the players instead of fighting them. <laughs> but uh, these were the plays of my, uh, my my professional career
0: and in terms of coaching you you talked about having a passion for coaching from a young age you became the youth coach of the the Netherlands national team in 2000 you held, held that role for a few years what was it like working with the most talented young players in the country at that time?
1: Well I had two teams the the, the team on the, on the 19 which uh, which uh, was uh, formed by guys like Arjen Robin, Robin, Robin from Persie, uh, Raphael van der Vaart, Nigel de Jong, uh, Wesley Snyder. And I also had the generation above this uh, with Dirk Kuyt, with Joris Matthijsen, with Martin Stekelenburg. you know. With, uh, so I actually, I had a crop of very good players, huge stars. And at that time, we already uh, had a principle that uh, if you're good enough, you're old enough. So we Johnny Heitinga, for instance, was only 17 years old, and he played already for the Dutch national team under 21 in the playoffs against uh, England in 2001. So uh, I was very fortunate to have uh, a good crop of uh, very talented players. I remember watching the World Cup final in uh, 2010 in South Africa, Holland against Spain, and I counted seven players that, I worked, that, I, that were in my teams when, when they were youngsters. And of course, it's difficult to predict um, a career, but everybody that saw Van Percy on his 18th years uh, of age could see that he was going to be a brilliant player. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was, although you don't spend too much time with the national teams, you know, only uh, during the FIFA window, FIFA dates. It was a pleasure every time when we were together. These boys, they were so full of football, they were playing football in the hall of the hotel. They were playing football um, wherever they could. They they were all in love with football and you could see the passion for football uh, 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 with these boys. So, yeah, it was really a a pleasure to work with.
0: In terms of yourself, you also coached in the Eredivisie with uh, Willem What? How do you reflect on, on that period of time and what's it like coaching in the Eredivisie? Because it is a division with so many teams that like to play football the right way.
1: Yeah, I started in the Eredivisie with FC Utrecht before I went to the Dutch national team. Um, after that, Willem II Tilburg. We had actually quite a good, uh, good season. I w- was there for one and a half year. We were, we were number five of the, the Dutch Eredivisie when I left because I got an offer from Feyenoord Rotterdam. But Willem II was a fantastic club. Like they call it the, they, they the Tricolores because there's red, blue and white. They have a really good philosophy. They want to play uh, the passing game. They pl- want to play four-three-three, which was very uh, normal for, for for teams in Holland. But I remember having uh, great, uh, great, great games and great crop of players. So again, uh, and good staff. It was a lovely club to work for.
0: You you mentioned uh, Feyenoord, Rotterdam being interested in you. You go in there as technical director, and in modern day football, in the present day. We hear quite a lot about clubs needing a technical director to come in and help oversee aspects of the club. What does that role involve on a day-to-day basis?
1: Well, actually, you are the spider in the web of the technical department. You know, you are responsible for the recruitment. You're responsible for the, the staff. You're responsible for the first team squad. You're responsible for the long-term uh, uh, strategy to make sure that whenever players get sold, you have uh, another players uh, ready to step in. But actually it was kind of a U-turn for me because uh, I was a football coach and I became the technical director. And if you compare my, uh, my, my spell there with uh, the likes of Marcel Brands, who's now working for Everton, he was all his life a technical director. So he was much more experienced and, and he had a lot more ex- expertise. For me, it was just because I played for Feyenoord, when Feyenoord called me and said you have to come and help us building for the future, uh, I could not resist it. But actually, it was uh, it was not the best decision of my career, because it was so much different to be technical director. You had to, of course, the daily contact with the coaches, Erwin Koeman and Ruth Gullit. You had to prepare for uh, for the future, so you were very involved with uh, with with players that didn't want to sign a new contract, like Robin van Persie or uh, Thomas Buffel. And you had the board uh, in, the, uh, in your neck because uh, we had to do a lot of savings, so we had to get rid of a lot of players. And uh, you know, when you are a technical director, you are in the you're not in the in the spotlight. You're behind the scenes working that working to make sure that the coach and the players have the best conditions to perform at their best of their ability.
0: And in terms of that role at Feyenoord, you talked about obviously being a coach at heart and going into that role. You leave that role and you go and coach in Egypt, you coach in Qatar and another spell in the Netherlands as well before coming to the UK. What did you learn from the experiences in Egypt and Qatar in particular?
1: Well, that was a culture shock, of course. You know, you are going from a Western European country, uh, well-organized clubs, and you come into uh, an area of the of the world where uh, there's not uh, not the same uh, level of organization. Nowadays, it's much different. But when I came to Egypt, you had to deal with one president, the owner of the club, who wanted to decide also who was going to play or not. You know, he wanted to interfere in the in the in the in the starting lineup, and um, the fans were very passionate. Of course, you have to deal with the Muslim culture. Though, so, whenever you are training on the pitch, if it's time to pray, the, the training stops, and you have to go. Uh, you have to go for a 10-minute break to pray, which was not a problem for me. I uh, I was very flexible, open-minded, and I adapted myself. It was also very warm, you know, when you have good results in Egypt, the, the people embrace you, they, they love you, they they support you. They you know I remember one day, one match we, we were winning against the, the giants, Al-Ali Cairo. We won the game with 3-0 or 3-1, and the fans came on the pitch and they 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 they, they celebrated with me like we won the, the Champions League. So, uh, but then, then again, the next, if you, if, you, if you were about to lose the next game, they would throw bottles of water to your head. So uh, it's very up and down. And Qatar was, of course, a little bit different because in Qatar there was no shortage of money. You know, that was just uh, the motivation of the players was different than I was used to, to work with in, in Holland. You know, in Holland, the players are all very motivated to make a great career. And in Qatar, the young boys, they have a good life already. So the motivation was not as good as uh, I uh, I experienced that in, in, in Holland or Scotland.
0: You were linked with Southampton for a period of time and, and you go into Southampton initially, working on the, uh, the the sort of technical side with the youngsters. W- what attracted you to UK football? Was that always an ambition of yours?
1: Yeah, I think if you have an opportunity to work in the UK, you, uh, you have to... Uh, you have to go on your bike, you know, you have to go and, and, and go as quickly as possible. Uh, uh, I was linked with Southampton in 2005 after I uh, left Feyenoord, uh, Rupert Lowe and, uh, and uh, some other people that really wanted me to step in. Uh, they wanted a European coach, but uh, the board did not approve or the shareholders. And then in 2008, uh, Rupert Lowe phoned me again and he said, you have to come and uh, help me with the academy because we're Running out of talented players, you know the academy of the Southampton is world famous. You know they they produce some fantastic players, and he wanted to have continuity. And when when things went wrong with the first team, uh, there were no results. He asked me to step step in and take over of Jan Portwood, which I did. But in a very very difficult time, uh, with, without any money club went into administration and um, eventually we managed to sell the club to uh, Marcus Lieber. Uh, but the consequence of that was that he wanted to have a clean slate and uh, he sacked everybody uh, in management to start all over again with the new, with new staff and Alan Pardew replaced me by, uh, at that time. But uh, nevertheless, it was a very, very good experience. Southampton was a fantastic club to work for. St. Mary's uh, Staplewood. Uh, you're the young boys, Lalana. I'm uh, Bradley Wright, Phillips, uh, Morgan Schneiderlin, uh, Simon Gillett, Lloyd James, all fantastic players, you know. Um, and also the under-13 was full of talented boys with Luke Shaw and uh, Callum Chambers and and Ward Prowse. It was just a fantastic football football time for me. It was just a shame that the finances were very very bad at that time and. When Rupert Lowe left, it was all. It was all the end of the end of the competition.
0: You mentioned the fact that when he leaves, that, that you and the rest of the management team leave. As the the new owner wants to start from scratch, how do you reflect on your time at Southampton overall? Did, did Did you want to stay in the UK after that, or did you did you want to just go away and get a new challenge elsewhere?
1: No, I wanted to stay. I had some job interviews uh, with some clubs, but uh, you have to be honest, uh, I, uh, I was a foreigner in the UK. I didn't have a fantastic uh, career as a player, so it's not easy to get into the UK. So my, uh, my only goal was to be successful with Southampton, to keep them in the Championship. And when, that, when, we, got, uh, when we went into administration, that, uh, that, that was impossible. And also, uh, yeah, but, you know, you you need to have an opportunity. It took me until 2011 when the Scottish FA was asking me to join as a performance director and director of national youth teams when I went back to the UK. And, um, yeah, I'd love to work in the UK because the passion for football is so great and so good and you have so many potential by, by numbers of players you know there are so many people in the, in the, in the UK playing football and there are so many fantastic academies and, and fantastic clubs that uh, it is always a pleasure to be linked with uh, with clubs in the, in the UK.
0: You, you mentioned the SFA, you're named as the, the performance director in, in 2013. How do you reflect on your time working within the, the Scottish football structure?
1: Well, I joined the uh, Scottish Ave 2011 as the first uh, performance director and we uh, had a fantastic uh, project, the uh, performance uh, strategy. Uh, Scotland United uh, a 2020 vision, we wanted to prepare for the European Championships in 2020 and, and you have to start with 12 year old boys. Uh, we were putting building blocks in place like the performance schools, like a new setup for the national youth teams. We set up a totally new uh, Talent ID pyramid. Uh, we had uh, Club Academy Scotland uh, with star rating system. And I think we made a, a, a huge effort to, to create higher standards in, in, in football in Scotland. And I was very pleased to see after I left that more than ever, young young boys were getting into the first team of Scottish Premiership Clubs. That they qualified more than ever for the elite rounds and and, and, and the, the qualifying rounds uh, in Europe, and of course the the big the big achievement from Steve Clark uh, to 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 uh, qualify for the European Championship in 2020 now 2021. So uh, I think we made a great effort. It was uh, it was a fantastic time for me to work and. Uh, at Hamden Park and uh, alongside with, with all the Scottish academies to create a better future for Scottish football.
0: And, and just on that future of Scottish football, you're passionate about grassroots, you're passionate about infrastructure. This is a personal question, so <laughs> I'm interested to get your thoughts. Given the fact that we do have, let's be honest, very poor weather here in the winter, do you yeah. think we should be investing in more indoor facilities to help the next generation succeed?
1: Yeah, it was not part of my remit when I was in the performance uh, director's job. Uh, it was uh, other people in the Scottish FA who did the, the grassroots and, uh, and the coach education. But I agree with you totally, if you see the biggest difference between Holland and Scotland is that in Holland you have 3,000 grass pitches for the youth to play, to play football and, and, and of which of, of the 3,000 maybe half is uh, 3G artificial grounds. And when I came to, to Scotland, I think that there were only 30 pitches of, uh, of 3G synthetic uh, uh, fields. And, and you are right, it rains a lot in, uh, in Scotland, uh, you have, you have, but, but not, not too long. So you have always uh, uh, a nice sunny and windy conditions as well. But yeah, for, for youth football, it's important that they, they have to be taught the technique on good pitches. If you don't have a good pitch, what can you do with the ball? You can lump it up and you have to, to, to follow the ball and, and, and make sliding tackles. You know, I've seen many youth games when I came to Scotland where I saw more tackles than passes. And I was always thinking, why is that? And uh, the, 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 youth, the youth need good pitches to, uh, to, to develop themselves and to have good technical skills training sessions because that's for me the, the, the most important uh, quality of a, of, a, of a player, You know, the ability. You know, I, I make a I make a difference in, in qualities for uh, for the players. You have the ability, the technique. You have the awareness, there's the decision making. You have the agility, there's the quickness. Then you have the attitude, and then of course you have the, the the adaptability. You have to adapt yourself. So this is my breakdown of a player. And it starts always with ability. And to have players with a good ability, you need to give them good conditions to to develop themselves. So. Uh, yeah, I'm, I was sorry I could not influence that too much because I uh, would love to uh, put a lot of uh, 3G, 3G pitches all across uh, all across uh, Scotland. Uh, I remember, I think, in Greenock they have a 3G pitch. Eh?
0: Yes, we do. We've got the, the local high schools, um, have all of them seem to have one now, which is which is very good that's because, good. I mean, I'm 25 and, and when I was growing up, it was the, the old sort of gravel blaze pitches and then they gradually yeah. put in the, the artificial pitches over time. So there, there's more and more yeah. of them around now. Well,
1: that's good to know, that's good to know.
0: And in terms of Scotland, Mark, um, we've qualified for our first major tournament uh, since 1998, not that we're counting. Um, many in Scotland have discussed the need, and, and you've talked about this during your time in Scotland, that we need to produce better academy players. We should be investing in academies, particularly when clubs outside Celtic and Rangers don't have a lot of finances. This proposal has came up time and time again. It's came up when you were in Scotland as well, that Celtic and Rangers... There's a proposal that they should have their own B teams or coke teams in the Scottish League setup. Now, obviously, a lot of people in Scotland get drawn into the sort of, well, I don't want that to happen if they support a lower league club, whereas if you support Celtic and Rangers, maybe you do want it ha- to happen. From your view, having been performance director, having been the technical director at Feyenoord, having managed across various countries, would it be a sensible move for clubs like Celtic and Rangers to have B-teams somewhere in the Scottish football structure?
1: That's a no-brainer for me. I mean, if you look at the, the countries that produces the best players in Europe, it's Spain and Germany. They all have uh, this Colts team or B-team uh, structure already for, for more than 20 years. And now the best example in Holland is Ajax, who have an under-21 team playing in the second division. You know the likes of Frankie de Jong, Matthijs de Ligt. They were 18 years old. They played in the first team, professional football. So for me, it's a no-brainer. You know, Celtic and Rangers, if they can, if they, if they have the funding and they have the strategy to, to implement a, a B team uh, in the, uh, let's say, in Division Two or in, uh, Division One or anywhere where they can play uh, senior football. It's so much better for the youngsters to 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 grow up uh, quickly. And to bridge the gap between the under-18s and the first team. I try In my time, I tried to introduce an under-20 league <clears throat> because there was no money for a reserve team league and there was no money for Colts teams. So it was an alternative based on finance. <coughs> Excuse me. But uh, if I was responsible for Celtic Rangers, or maybe even Hearts and Hips and Aberdeen and Dundee, if you have a, a development team in one of the leagues, the professional senior leagues, I would do it tomorrow, you know, because there's no better way to educate your players than to play senior football.
0: So, some people may argue that a loan move could, could do that, but would you argue that for the development of the player, playing in a cult team would be, would be better because you would anticipate the cult team would be mirroring the way the first team wanted to play?
1: Yeah, when I was at Feyenoord, we had a, an, an, an agreement with Excelsior Rotterdam. We could We could put five players on loan. In Excelsior Rotterdam, I remember Thomas who was playing for Rangers. He scored a lot of goals in Excelsior Rotterdam when he was young. And it was such a great development for him and some great uh, experience for him as well. It helped him to become a world-class player or European-class player. And uh, so that is an alternative. But uh, in Feyenoord, we, we also appointed the, the coach so that we were aware, of the, that we were sure that he was playing in the right philosophy similar to the first team of Feyenoord. And, uh, so that is one of the, the conditions. If you have a loan, loan system with a club and this coach is not interested in young players and he's not interested in developing players, but he's only interested in uh, lumping up the ball up the park and uh, running into the channels and uh, fighting and, and uh, he doesn't care about uh, educating uh, the young players, then it's useless. So uh, for me, To have a Colts team, let's say, 16 to 18 players who can play in uh, League One with with the coaching staff uh, to develop these players is not to to win the league. Uh, Most of the the small clubs, they are afraid of uh, a Celtic team uh, going down in the league and and, uh, they cannot compete for the title, but one of the rules in Holland is also that young Ajax. The Ajax under-21 team can never get can never win promotion to the to the Dutch Eredivisie. So it's all within the rules that uh, that, uh, that that the other clubs they they don't have to fear that they are uh, not capable of winning the league and getting promotion. So it's just for the development of the players, and it's it's good for the Scottish football, and if it's good for Scottish football, it's good for everybody because you know. When we, did, when we did Scotland United the 2020 vision it was also to get better financial returns if, uh, if a country participates in a World Cup final or a champion or a European Cup final there's money coming into the country and in the Federation the association can use this money to fund to fund for instance the clubs to fund the academies of the clubs based on uh, on, on their outcomes. So it's a no-brainer that you have to support the national team uh, as good as possible and it's good for for everybody in the country.
0: The last question I've got for you on Scotland, based on your time here, do you still keep an eye out for our results and are you looking forward to, to seeing Scotland at European Championships along with the Netherlands this summer?
1: Yeah, that would be great. I mean, uh, I always look at the results, uh, I'm very happy for the Rangers fans that they, uh, that at last they are back winning the title and it's also good to see Hearts coming back into the, the Scottish Premiership and uh, uh, I have many friends from my time in uh, in Scotland so yeah, I do follow the results, I follow the, the youngsters who are now getting into the first team. Uh, uh, of course, uh, Billy Gilmore is uh, exciting play with a performance school uh, background. Uh, went from Rangers to 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 Chelsea. When I when you see him play, it gives me a very good feeling to see him uh, on that on that level, you know, and Champions League level. So um, yeah, I, I I really hope that uh, that the national team will, is doing a great job and that uh, Celtic and Rangers and the other clubs are doing very well in Europe as well because. It helps at the, long, at, the, at the end of the day, it helps the football in general that the clubs are doing very well and the national team is, do, national team is doing very well and it's also a great uh, bonus for the country.
0: You, you left the SFA and, and you, the, your next job was with the Moroccan FA. You won the, the Francophone Games with uh, the national side beating Ivory Coast in the final. How do you reflect on your time working within Moroccan football?
1: I was totally different. Uh, you know, in Scotland I had the responsibility over the project. I was the, the director of the national youth teams and the performance director in in, in Morocco. I, I signed the contract as a national team coach on the 23 and on the 20s. So I've traveled along out of trouble, traveled throughout Africa. I think I played 50 games in three years in every African country. And the good thing about the Moroccan players, they're everywhere in Europe. So you have to find the, the best players in other countries as well with Moroccan roots. They're very skillful. They're very passionate. So it was a fantastic time for me. Again, three and a half years in a, in a totally different culture, but uh, with good results and uh, with a lot of joy. And uh, I was happy to have four fantastic players. Uh, mazraoui from youssef Yusuf Nesiri from Sevilla. Aja Hakimi from Inter Milan and Hamza Mendil from Schalke, they were all in my generation and we won so many uh, games uh, with these, uh, with these boys uh, but uh, at, at, the, at the other hand it's always difficult as well you know because when they're doing very well you on the 23s they are being picked by the national team and then you uh, you have you've you have, you have done your job but uh, the results are uh, getting uh, not as good with, with these boys if they are playing for the A squad. So, but anyway, it was fantastic time, and uh, for me, it was a great experience again to to work in that part of the world.
0: You you you're very experienced in working in football across the globe, but I'm interested to get your views on some of the key elements of football now. What's your honest opinion on VAR in in British football in the Premier League in England? Every single week, there seems to be a debate about VAR and whether it should stay or whether it should go. What's your verdict on it?
1: Well, the VAR is making football more honest because the decisions are being checked. But I think we have to adapt the VAR system and limit the time or limit the the number of times that you can check on VAR. And also that the the, the, the the match cannot be stopped for more than two minutes because it's, uh, it's it's I I I feel also like every other fan when it's one millimeter offside I think uh, it's it's a shame that goal disallowed because it's one millimeter offside I don't uh, I don't trust these techniques with the lines. Eventually its just come, it, it comes down to decision making and we have to trust the, the referees to make the right decisions. And that whenever a club or a team is in doubt of a decision of the, the referee, I think the clubs should ask for a VR check. It's not that somebody from outside can check the VR. maybe accept it for, 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 for grave fouls or for a bad foul. When the when the referee is missing a, a bad foul and the VR can interfere, but leave leave the decision making up to the to the, to the to the to the to the referee and the linesman. But whenever there's a decision that you want to question, give every team maybe twice a match the right to ask for a far review. And then uh, it's like with tennis, you know, and when 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 you see Wimbledon and the, the and Roger Federer thinks that the ball is out, he can ask for uh, for uh, for a, for a review because nowadays uh, sometimes in some countries you see a VR four or five times a match with four or five minutes uh, stoppage time, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not contributing to the, to the amusement of the watching a game, so uh, that's my opinion.
0: And, and, and just on offsides, Arsene Wenger is, is, is trying to sort of change the offside rule, one of the things that has been spoken about is judging off, offside basically on a player's feet rather than maybe their shoulder or whatever other part of the body is offside. W- w- do you have a particular view on that?
1: In that case, I would I would only play players with size uh, 7 or 8 shoes because when they have <laughs> size 10 or 11, they're always offside. <laughs> no, it's a joke. But... Uh, I think Arsene Wenger is right because it's so difficult to uh, to decide which part of the body should be offside. I think uh, if the arm is a little bit uh, going forward or the shoulder, I think uh, football is played with the feet most of the time. So let let's stick to the feet position of the feet. Also, the feet are most often in contact with the ground, so it's easy for them to 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 check if the feet is uh, closer to the goal or not. And uh, so I think uh, the VR in general is, uh, is, a good, is a good system, but we have to adapt it and make it, uh, make it quicker.
0: Absolutely, I would agree with that one. And, and, and just on your, your sort of future, Mark, what are your plans for the future? Have you got plans to get back in as a manager or on the technical side? What, what, what are your hopes to do next? Uh,
1: well, I'm just uh, enjoying my time uh, back home with the family and uh, after my period in al in the in the Emirates. And uh, of course, everything is decided by Corona, COVID-19. So I'm waiting for my vaccination here in Holland. I'm, I'm due for next week, because uh, to, go, uh, to go to another country again with the COVID uh, threats, I, I don't feel very comfortable with. So I want to stay at home for, for a couple of months, make sure that my vaccination is in order. And then I'm, I'm not take any offer. I, I, I consider any offers with serious if, it's, uh, if it attracts me. I might sign up for a new adventure or may, maybe I, I will stay in Holland. I'm not sure about it yet, so uh, we'll see.
0: We certainly will see and I wish you all the very best with your, your vaccination and I look forward to to watching uh, Holland and the Netherlands, obviously at the, the European Championships this summer. Mark, thank you so much for your time.
1: Hopefully they will play Scotland and we have a good uh, a good possibility to have a pint in the, chin the pub. <laughs> that would be amazing. Bring it on. Yes. Thanks so much for your uh, for your interview, and uh, we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll keep in touch. Thank you so much, Callum. Good luck with your site. So we'll dive down to the ocean,
0: and we'll make her home in a deep sea cave, and her shells will all be open. They'll be filled with song. They'll be filled with song. We'll dive down to the ocean, and we'll make her home. In Shells will all be open They'll be filled with song They'll be filled with song